Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 90. To Essie Tregowan and proposing an end to her indenture and offering his hand in marriage. Now, although she accepted him, she would not sleep a night with him until it was legal, whereupon she moved from the little room in the attic to the master bedroom in the front of the house. And if some of Farmer Richardson's friends and their wives cut him when next they saw him in town, many more of them were of the opinion that the new Mistress Richardson was a damn fine-looking woman and that Johnny Richardson had done quite well for himself. Within a year, she was delivered of another child, another boy, but as blonde as his father and half-sister, and they named him John after his father. The three children went to the local church to hear the traveling preacher on Sundays, and they went to the little school to learn their letters and their numbers with the children of the other small farmers. While Essie also made sure they knew the mysteries of the Piskies, which were the most important mysteries there were, red-headed men with eyes and clothes as green as a river, with turned-up noses, funny, squinting men who would, if they got a mind to, turn you and twist you and lead you out of your way unless you had salt in your pocket or a little bread. When the children went off to school, they each of them carried a little salt in one pocket, a little bread in the other, the old symbols of life and the earth, to make sure they came safely home once more, and they always did. The children grew in the lush Virginia hills, grew tall and strong, although Anthony, her first son, was always weaker, paler, more prone to disease and bad airs, and the Richardsons were happy, and Essie loved her husband as best she could. They had been married a decade when John Richardson developed a toothache so bad it made him fall from his horse. They took him to the nearest town where his tooth was pulled, but it was too late, and the blood poisoning carried him off, black-faced and groaning, and they buried him beneath his favorite willow tree. The widow Richardson was left the farm to manage until Richardson's two sons were of age. She managed the indentured servants and the slaves, and brought in the tobacco crop year in, year out. She poured cider on the roots of the apple trees on New Year's Eve, and placed a loaf of new-baked bread in the fields at harvest time. And she always left. And that's our page. So, the top of the page, the word cut is used in a way I wasn't familiar with. In this case, it means to ignore or to refuse to recognize someone, which is now considered an obsolete manner of using the word. It's another thing that seems obvious from the context, but it it just seems like one of those things I've been noting already, so why not continue to do so? Here we also get our first real description of the Piskies, at least within the context of the book. We also read that Essie recommends having a small amount of salt in your pocket. Apparently this bit of old folk, old folk belief has extended to modern times as I found a lot of websites claiming that putting salt in your wallet would attract money or help you win at a casino. That keeping salt in your pocket would generally either give you good luck or prevent unlucky things from happening, which, well, those are opposite. Not being opposite things, but those are very different things. I would rather have good luck than just preventing unlucky things from happening, but that's me. I guess maybe I just don't have enough salt in my pocket. Of course, spilling salt is considered bad luck, and used to be considered entirely a bad omen. On the flip side, a ring of salt was thought to ward off evil spirits or the evil eye, but I struggled to find a cohesive answer as to why salt would be considered good luck. The book names salt as symbol of the earth, and I guess that might make sense. It's hard to think of a time when salt wasn't plentiful. And so perhaps that's it. It's just that it was so uncommon that it was lucky to have salt. I don't know. I didn't find a good answer. If you know, please email me, though. Essie's husband, John. New husband. Well, at that point, I guess it's a decade. But the the book starts to pick up the pace, or at least the story starts to pick up the pace pretty quickly here. 
uh, before I read this book, I don't know that I knew that a toothache could lead to death. So that was an interesting revelation. The infection in a tooth's abscess can infect other parts of the body via sepsis or other similar disorders. Sepsis is an immune response caused by an infection. So that's probably what happened. It says that John was buried beneath a willow tree. Per the previous page, the willow man goes walking if you stay out late. So is this the last we've seen of John? Boiler alert, yes. And I think that you have about half a page where Essie's happily married before John passes on. And to connect it back to Sandman, there's a, there's a moment in 24 hours. I want to say it's issue 6, but it might be issue 5. Eh, early issue, there's a serial killer and he's killing the people in a diner over 24 hours, hence the title of the book. And one of the characters in the first or second page thinks that the true way to have a happy ending is to know where to stop telling the story. If we had stopped Essie's story when she got married to John, well, that's a pretty happy ending. But now John has died, and life's not done with Essie yet. We'll, we'll get to it on tomorrow's page. But I always think of that character and that scene because it's really relevant to a lot of Neil's books, and a lot of books in general, I guess. There's moments in, in several of his novels where if you stopped the narrative a little bit sooner, there would have been maybe a happier ending, especially Sandman. Sandman's got that in spades. But for the most part, I think there's pretty happy endings. I guess when we get to the end of this book in another 430 pages, we can discuss whether or not we think it had a happy ending. For now, though, you can get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page. And remember, only the gods are real.